Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. It's always good to come back to Michigan and to uh, worship with a, a church that I grew up with. Uh, know all of you. A lot of you are my family here. People ask me, where do you go uh, when you go back home? I go, I go where my family goes to church. That's where I go. Where do you think I'll go? You know, that's, that's where I love to go to church and, and love to worship is, is with my family and with my friends that I grew up with. I appreciate the songs that we sang this morning, songs that Uncle Jerry picked this morning to lead us up to this lesson. Um, we're going to talk about many of the things that we actually sang about this morning, um, and that's, that's the way that, that I like to do it. I like to uh, lead us into some of those, those things, those principles that we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, Uncle Jerry asked me when I told him that I was coming to preach uh, on this first day of the week, and and he said, well, I, I, re I understand if you want a, a, a Sunday off. I said, well, I, it'd be weird by now if I didn't preach on Sunday. I, I, I love to listen to people. I love to uh, listen to a lesson and be spiritually fed. But it is weird if I do not preach on Sunday. So I appreciate the opportunity to preach every time I can. This morning, we're going to ask a, a very important question. And a question that, that when I ask it, you're going to say, Peyton, why did you choose to go over this? I know this one. It's very easy uh, for many of us that are here this morning, many of us believe in God already, but it is that question, uh, why would I or why should I believe in God? It seems like such a simple lesson. That's the question for today. Uh, if you're taking notes, why believe in God? Why believe in him at all? Especially in a world where it seems like so many people do not believe in him at all. It seems so easy to take the route of not believing in him and doing whatever it is I want to do in life. Um, I'm sure that as we uh, passed this morning, as we were getting ready for services, maybe some of us were late. Maybe it was a kind of a hustle to get ready for services this morning. We were trying to get our showers. We were trying to brush our hair and get ready on time. We were thinking, man, it'd be uh, so much easier if we just didn't have to do this at all, didn't have to go to worship at all. Maybe some people think that way. I will say that I don't like to think that way. I like to think that this is a privilege to be here, that it is amazing to worship God on the first day of the week. But uh, why don't we just take the easy route? Why don't we choose not to believe in him at all? Why don't we stick our head in the sand? After all, is there really that much evidence to believe in God? I would say the evidence is overwhelming. I would say that uh, to deny the existence of God is to deny a whole heap of evidence that is found um, not only within the Bible, but there is a whole lot of external evidence to believe in him, some logical reasons to believe in God. I remember sitting in these very pews growing up as a young person, as a teenager, and I would ask myself as someone who was rushed to worship and, and said, this is so hard, really, and it's really not that hard. Do I really believe this? Do I really believe in God? Am I going to really serve him uh, the rest of my life? Am I going to, to, to serve him not only on Sundays, but for the rest of my life? Do I really believe in a God? Especially going into public schools and, and where they're teaching me, you know, it, he really doesn't exist. All of what you see just happens by chance, happened by a big bang, happened by just a, a, a possibility. And really, that's a mathematical impossibility when you think about it. But some people might even ask this, and I've seen this in debates, if you like to watch debates between believers and non-believers, one of the first things that the agnostic or the atheist will say to oftentimes the preacher that is debating the existence of God, they will say, why hasn't he made himself more clearly known? Why doesn't he come down right now and just tell us that he's real? Um, and when you think about that, it really is so silly. Why would God waste time doing that? After he's created this whole redemption plan of salvation, giving man free will, if he did that, he'd take away our free will. But 
But anyway, why doesn't he do that? Why is he spoken only through a book that seems so old-fashioned to so many people? Why does God do that? And by the way, I don't believe the Bible is old-fashioned. I believe that when we go through the Bible, especially the book of Proverbs, and we look at the wise sayings of Solomon, there are things within this book that have helped me throughout my life. Things that a self-help book could not have, have helped me with. Uh, problems and sins and addictions that people have gone through that I've read and, and I've been able to come out of because of this wonderful book that is far from old-fashioned. I believe that God has made himself clearly known. He's spoken in various ways. In addition to a book that is far from antiquated or old-fashioned, he has spoken quite loudly for those who are willing to listen, those who are willing to be honest. And that's what I want you to ask yourself this morning before we get into our first point is, are you willing to be honest? Are you willing to say, you know what, maybe I need to listen. I need to see really if there is a God or not. I need to do the study to actually have that, that kind of belief, you see, because the Christian belief system, it's not just, well, I'll believe in God because I don't want to go to hell. I, I, hope, he's, I hope he's real. No, I believe in God because I know he's real, because I've done the study. I know that Jesus is actually, he actually lived on this earth. And many people, even non-believers, saw him and saw the wonderful works that he did and said, hey, that man is the son of God. People who had no gain from believing in him in, in the secular sense. And so there's so many ways and reasons to believe in God. But I want to start off with this first point. If you're taking notes with me, if you're following along, this is the first point. I, I believe that God has spoken loudly or has made himself clear through his creation. You might say, well, what are you talking about, Peyton? What do you mean, his creation? The Bible tells us that God has revealed himself through his wonderful works. And I mean wonderful works, right? Psalm 19, 1 through 4, I'm sure we've, we've read the verse before, but let's read it together again. Psalm 19, 1 through 4, I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. He says, day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. Do you know what he is saying there by the inspiration of God? He is saying that you can know that there is an intelligent being by all of the things that you have seen, including the people uh, that you have seen in this life. There is a complexity to life. I'm sure that many of you were able to see Jensen as you were coming in this morning, our new little baby, and we're so happy to be here and, and, and for all of our friends and family to meet her. I think she's pretty awesome. I don't know about you. I think she's pretty cute. I think she's the cutest baby I've ever seen, but I'm a little bit biased. <laughs> but I remember being in that delivery room and, and, and going through that process, I know many of uh, fathers and mothers have been through this process. It's a very, it's a very hard process, and, and I respect the power of a woman and what she's able to do in this process. And it is amazing what God has done for women through this, this process called uh, labor, right? You get through a process, you see a child born, and, and for us it was really quick. I couldn't believe it was done already. I said, that's it? You know, but it was hard. <laughs> But I go through this process, we go through this process, and I think, how can somebody go through something like this and think that God doesn't have a hand in this? This is powerful. A being comes to life, and she comes out, and she's looking like members of my family, 
has hair like us. She's, she's moving like us. She's built like us. She's shaped like us. This is beautiful. This is amazing. How can I believe that this all just happened by chance? And we're going to have a relationship. We're going to have a good one. I can already tell that Jensen and I are going to have a good one. She's going to love daddy more than mommy. I know that. And she's going to grow up, and she's going to be, and I, I pray for this every day, a faithful Christian, and she's going to serve God. This doesn't just happen by chance. There's no way. You can't convince me otherwise. There's no way. I think about this room, for, for example, as well. I know that the church is not a building. I know that the church is the people that are inside the building, but I know that we love the building here. There's been many uh, reasons that we have this building, and it did not just happen by chance. We know that this building was created by builders, and I really don't know all of the history of this building. I probably should, having grown up here, but it would be silly for us to sit in this building on Sunday morning and say, yeah, this, this building didn't have any builders. It just came to be. The property, it, it just happened to be given to us, you know. It would be silly for us to say that when you think about the lights and you think about the doors and you think about the clock in the back maybe or the pews that you're sitting on. It would be very foolish for us to say all of these things just happen. Now take that uh, thing, this building, and apply that then to the world. And how foolish it would be for us to say, look at the complexity of the world, the animals, and how they're able to know how to care for their young and feed for them and, and, and raise them right or rear them right. It would be foolish for us to say this world, how big this world is, and how complex this world is, it all just happened by chance. That would be foolish for us to say. And so God has made himself clearly known through his creation. I want to ask, do we take the time to consider the wonders of creation? The psalmist did. Again, Psalm 8, 3 through 4 now, New King James Version. When I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him? And what is the son of man that you visit him? This verse is very dear to me. It's one of my favorite passages because it shows us just how powerful God is. And yet he is a God that, not, uh, that has not just created the world and turned his back on them. He cares about us. And we're going to talk more about that at the end of today's lesson. He cares about you, he cares about what you think, about what you believe. He cares about what you're doing in life. Are you just serving yourself? Are you just uh, doing whatever it is you think you need to be doing? Or are you serving him because he cares about you? If we open our eyes to the world around us, and we could go on and on and on about the complexity of life, we can truly see uh, why we would believe in God. Through his creation, we can know that he exists but what does this supreme being desire from us and what us to do? That's the big question. And that's where we get to this second point. So we asked the question, why I believe in God? Our first point was, well, because of his creation. And now this second point is, point number two, his word. You might say, now I know where you're going, preacher. You're going to say that the, uh, we can believe in the existence of God because the Bible says that he exists. That's not what I'm saying. That would be foolish for me to say in a debate. Well, I believe in God because the Bible says that he exists. That's not what I'm saying. I, I believe that God exists because the Bible is here and it can't be disproven. It's true all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. It's never been disproven. It's in harmony with the will of God. It has prophetic, prophetic truths where God has said something is going to happen and what happens? Hundreds or thousands of years later, it happens every single time, right? 
It has prophetic truths. It has geographical truths. You know, the Bible does not talk about lands or countries or battles that never happened. There are some books that claim to be religious that do that. But this is not one. This book is geographically accurate. The man, and I forget his name. I was supposed to remember his name. But there have been many people like this who have tried to prove the Bible's contradictions with geographical locations. And guess what? This man came out to be a believer because he saw, hey, all of these places the Bible mentions and all of these people that the Bible mentions, they're actually real. They're actually true. And so we talk about the complexity of his word. God's voice is found in his word and he's clearly speaking if we just listen. His word is designed to produce faith. I know you know Romans 10, 17, right? I know the kids here probably know it, right? So then faith comes by hearing and finish it, right? And then hearing by the word of God, right? That is how our faith is produced. We had an a, 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 a instructor in school, and he said, Brothers, I want you to shut your Bibles. He said, It's the only time that I'll ever tell you to shut your Bibles. And we shut our Bibles in class, and he said, Brothers, tell me one thing. You know about God without the Bible. And guess what? In a room full of preachers, we couldn't say one thing about God other than the fact that he exists without this word. You see, when I look for truth, I am not looking for a nudge. I'm not looking for uh, a something, some kind of whisper in my ear. I have all that I need right here in this book. 1 John 5.13 tells us that these things were written for us, that we may know that we believe in the name of the Son of God. And Galatians would tell us, Paul would say to the church at Galatia, that if anyone preaches anything different, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's scripturally true. If anyone comes to you and preaches something different than the words that are found in this book, he says, let them be accursed. God has the final revelation in this book. And I need to believe it. I need to study it. I need to, to go to it when I want to find truth. So let's talk about uh, how God speaks loudly through his word. Let's go back to that fulfilled prophecy for a moment. It's designed to produce faith in God. When I see the Bible written in the Old Testament and tells me things are going to happen, and then hundreds of years later, these things happened every time. Some 360 fulfilled prophecies about Jesus himself. And those are just about Jesus. Isaiah 42, 8 through 9. Read it with me. Isaiah 42, 8 through 9. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. Notice that, I am the Lord, that is my name. I find this verse very interesting, a side point here. There are some people that say that this is not a name of God, it's a description. Well, he just said, I am the Lord, that is my name. I am the Lord, that is my name. In my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to what? Pass. And new things I declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Only God can do that. Now, I know you know, and, and I know that there have been a lot of crazy people that have gone around and have said that, you know, the world's going to end on this day, or, or something big or cataclysmic is going to happen on this day, and yet we are still here living. And we're laughing at those people, right? We should be. Because only God can say that something is going to happen, and it happens, and he's proven that time and time again. I think about King Cyrus. Isaiah also foretells that a king named Cyrus is going to come and deliver his people out of the land of Babylon. Now, what is interesting about that? There was no Cyrus 
for 500 years. Hadn't even been born yet. Parents hadn't even got together yet. Grandparents haven't even got together yet. And yet he says, Cyrus, a man named Cyrus, is going to come and deliver my people out of Babylon. Now, was Cyrus a believer? No. Did he have anything to gain from this in, in one sense? Not at all. But he said this is going to happen, and it did. Fulfilled prophecy is amazing in Scripture. Go to Isaiah 44 in verse 7 with me now. This is one of the most wonderful things about the Bible to me. And you might say, well, Peyton, this is old school. Can we really still use this today? I would say absolutely we can still use these things today. It's fulfilled prophecy. It's intended to confirm your faith as a believer. And you need to have that faith because we just read, John read it for us this morning, 1 Peter 3.15. And I forgot to talk about that at the beginning. But 1 Peter 3.15 told us, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and do what? And be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks you of the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. What does that mean when someone comes and knocks on my door and says, hey, do you want to have a Bible study? You as a Christian should say what? Absolutely. Thank God you came. I've been praying for opportunities like this. I can't wait to tell you why I believe in God. And we should be praying for opportunities all the time with people at work or at school. And we as Christians ought to be ready to answer why we believe in him. And for a long time, Christians have not been doing that. And why, that's why the church is dying, because we're not able to give an answer. And so we read Isaiah 44 and verse 7. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Fulfilled prophecy. Let's move on to the next one. How about eyewitness testimony? Again, the Bible is written in a, in a way where people, the people that were there, saw these miracles and wonderful things happen, and they saw the ministry of Jesus. It offers evidence, again, to people who believe in Jesus. I think about this, and I think about 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So you know what that tells me? The Bible tells the truth of things that actually happen. It's not some story. The Bible leaves in the good parts and the bad parts. The good parts and the bad parts. I find that interesting. It's not some fable. It's not some story tale. Uh, or a story tale. Fairy tale. Not story tale. Second Peter 1.16 For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They said we saw it. And it was not just a handful of men. It was, just not, it was not just the apostles. It was just not 50 people. It was just not 100 people. It was thousands of people that saw the miracles of Jesus. In fact, I remember in Acts, in the, in the later book of Acts, we, we see Paul and he's standing before the king and he's, and he's being judged, right? And he says, you know that these things, King Agrippa, were not done in what? In a corner. And that's very significant because... King Agrippa, you might remember, he said, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian because he knew that these things really happened. He knew that Jesus healed the sick, raised the dead, fed the thousands. He knew that the world was being turned upside down because people saw what Jesus was able to do. So we have eyewitness testimony. 
Through his providence, God's word has been spread to every nation, translated virtually into every language. The manuscript evidence, when you look at that as well, and I wish we had more time for that, but when you look at how the texts were copied down for us, that is amazing. I was reading about the rules and the regulations that they had when copying biblical texts and translating them into different languages because someone might say, well, the Bible is just a book and it's been watered down throughout time. Do you actually understand the process and the strict process it took to copy down scripture and to translate it from the things that they had to wear, from the tools that they wrote with? And not only that, the process that had to happen if None of those rules were followed. If, if those rules weren't followed and that text wasn't written down right, that letter was burned. Think about this as well. The Bible has been, uh, been uh, there has been uh, many people, what I'm trying to say, who have, been, who have tried to destroy the Bible throughout time. And it has come very close to ultimate you know, desolation, to, to not being around. And yet it is risen from the grave every time and it's still here and it's the best-selling book and you talk about eyewitness testimony you think about people's lives who have been changed because of the bible now i know some people that would say well that's not really something that you can use i would say that is not true at all i can see people i can see recent converts that we've had in their lives changed they've come from addictive personalities to people who are now serving god and their lives are completely changed is that something that non-believers can take away from believers absolutely not i have seen people be saved i've seen that with my own eyes that is something tangible that is something that i can hold on to i believe in god because he's he's changed my loved ones and my friends' lives. And I will never forget that. That's something that I've been able to witness in this life, and I know you have too. That's not something to forget. Through the Son of God and through this word, we clearly say, I believe, but how well do we listen to his word? We ask that question. How well do we listen to his creation? How well do we listen to his word? Do we know that it's here? Do we know that it's authentic? You might say, well, there's contradictions in the Bible. What are you talking about? Where are those contradictions? Are we talking about little word differences that really don't change anything? Because from the studies that I've done, I don't see them. I really don't. Again, 1 John 5, 13, uh, these things have I written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue, continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I want to ask before we get on to our third point here, are we taking the time to read the Word of God? I should not be leaving my Bible in the assembly. And every time I say that, I got somebody who says, well, I got another one at home. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> I'm talking about if you leave your Bible and it collects dust throughout the week and you never pick it up until next Sunday, that is a shame. I need to be studying my Bible all the time. 2 Timothy 2.15 tells me to study, uh, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What does that mean, rightly dividing the word of truth? Does that mean I, I want to I pick apart the Bible? I want to study the deep things? Absolutely. I want to study the milk. I want to study the meat of the word. Are we taking the time to read it? If we're not, we're not going to have faith. We're not going to have the right kind of faith. Um, if we open our ears to the word of God, we will say, I believe in Jesus. Let's go on to this third point. 
So three reasons. We've noticed the first one, his creation. We've noticed the second one, his word. How about the third one, his people? Now this is where it hits the Christians, right? We've talked about non-believers all day long. But now we talk about ourselves. There's something that we can learn about ourselves here within this third point, his people. God's voice in his people. I think about this and I can't help but think about the great commission that was given to the disciples and to following believers that would come after them. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right? And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in what? Heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He has given believers, again, that charge to go and teach more people about Jesus. And you better be teaching the right thing. You are to teach what Jesus and the apostles taught. No more. No less. I do not add my opinions or my notions. I do not say, well, I believe that God would want us to do this. No, that doesn't make sense to me. I do what God has told me in Scripture, and it's clear. God is not a God that tries to trick us. He tells us exactly what we need to do. So there is no, I think that this is a gray area, and I think that we need to do this. That doesn't fit in Scripture, right? We know that, Revelation 22, 18 through 20. But their duty as God's people, our duty as God's people, is to proclaim his praises. One of my favorite verses, if you would, and I'm going to give you more time to flip to it. I realize that I have not been giving you much time to flip to these passages. But 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. It tells us just what we are supposed to be doing as people, as God's people. It tells us how important we are, how special we are. And then it tells us what we should be doing because of what has happened to us. And I love when the Bible does that. I love when the Bible reminds us of where we once were before we were Christians. I ought to be thankful. I ought to be the happiest person on earth because I'm saved. I've had my sins washed away, and I want to bring other people. You realize this, Christians, that if we don't act happy, and I'm not saying fake it. That's not what I'm saying. But if we don't realize the joy that God has given us, why would anybody else want to be a Christian? Why would anybody else want to come to services with us? If I hang my head low and I say, oh, it's just so hard to follow God's will, it's not hard to follow God's will. It helps me. He's told me in his, in his scripture that his commandments are not grievous. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of what we were talking about, the, the Passion of Christ movie before services today, and how it shows how Jesus was brutally, brutally whipped. And, and when I see that, and when I picture that, and, and the things that he went through, I truly can say, the commandments of God for me are not grievous. I did not have to sit there. I did not have to go through that pain. I did not have to be crucified on a cross. Jesus did it for me. I, I have the easy part. I just have to follow him. I, have to, I just have to listen to him. Did I give you enough time to, to flip to that passage? 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Did you see that? Did you see how special we are? Did you see how we were called out of a, a world of sin, of, of guilt, of, of nastiness, wickedness, deceit, lies, immorality, and we're pure now? Thank God. Thank God. 
And so because he's done that for you, he said what? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know what that tells me? When I get together with my friends who don't know about Jesus, I'm not going to talk about football and hunting and fishing for three hours with them and then mention to them at the end, hey, uh, do do you know God? Do you think the apostles were doing that when they were talking with people about Jesus? Do you think that they were talking about things that they were into for hours? And then at the end they said, hey, uh, by the way, do you know Jesus? No, Jesus was their main subject. They were turning the world upside down because they were constantly talking about him. They were saying, you need to be saved. You are going to spiritually die without Jesus. And if we treated people like that, if we understood truly that people are going to spiritually die without Jesus, the church would be growing so fast. Those friends you have in the world, you say, well, they're really not that bad. I agree with you. I have some friends in the world, some guys that I go hunting with, I trust my life with more, more than some, some other people I know. I'll just say that. I go camping with them. I love them. I, I have time, but I have to be very careful because I will talk myself into saying That they are a good person. Well, the Bible tells us that there is only one that is good, and that is God. And if you do not have Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They cannot be saved without him, and I need to understand that as a Christian. The devil is trying to tempt me into thinking that they're okay where they're at, and I can't fall into that temptation. I need to go, and I need to save them. I need to bring them to Jesus. Christians proclaim his message in word and deed, proving what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, Romans 12, 1 through 2. Paul said to the church at Rome, he said, I beseech you, I beg you, uh, by the name of our God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, watch this, which is your reasonable service. Why is it our reasonable service? It's the least we can do for what he's done for us. He's called me out of darkness, and he said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in that passage, we see a beautiful trait of a Christian, and that is that they, Christians, are not like the world. Again, there's another temptation there, isn't it? The world wants me, I I find comfort in numbers as a person, right? I want to be like them. I want to wear the the clothes that they wear. I want to, uh, to listen to the music that they listen to, watch the shows that they want to, to watch as well. I can't do that as a Christian. I am set apart. I am different from them, and I need to remember that. And Christians, we need to be teaching that. Uh, I'm not like the world. I don't want to be like the world. God will not know me if I am like the world. Their love and unity are to speak powerful messages to the world. Notice love and unity. The church is to be unified. Now, I know preachers that will talk about unity all day long, but they won't say how we're going to be unified. I, would, I, I remember this. I remember when Paul said in 1 Corinthians that we are to speak the same things and to think the same way. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I believe it's 10 through 13. Paul, how do we do that? How do we think the same way? How do we speak the, the same things? Tiffany and I, we travel quite a bit sometimes in Idaho. And and oftentimes when we look up churches online, we will look up their mission statement or what they believe or about us on the Internet. I'm really glad that we have the Internet for those types of things. 
when I go to a, a congregation, say in Nebraska, because that's where I'm, I'm hunting this month, and I say, I want to go to the church. I want to go to the church that speaks the same things and believes the same things. I can find them because they're following the same book that I'm following. They teach the same things, and we're unified in that sense. Thank God for his unity. Thank God for his love. Through his people, God is saying, I love you and I sent my son to die for you. But I want to ask this question again. We asked it for the other points. How well are we listening to God's people? I can't tell you where I'd be without God's people, without some of you that are sitting here this morning, without the guidance and the help that I've had to be uh, where I'm at today as a Christian, as a faithful Christian. I'm thankful to you, right? God's people had a hand in that. I need to listen to them. I, I could have rejected that. I could have rejected you and your words. But I found out they were true. The Christian message has gone out into the world. And because of that, everyone, and I say everyone, has the opportunity to obey the gospel. But what about the people that have never heard the gospel or they were raised in situations where they did not believe in Christianity? It does not matter because Romans tells us in Romans 1 and verse 20, that everyone again can look around and see that there is a God and we are all without excuse. Acts chapter 17, 29 through 30 tells us that there was a time of ignorance that God winked at, but now he commands, watch this, all men, what's the next word? Everywhere. All men everywhere to repent of their sins. You know who that covers? You know who all, all men everywhere covers? Everyone. <laughs> you might say, well, Peyton, that's silly. We don't. We know that. Well, a lot of people don't. God has given all men everywhere a chance to repent and to change. If we will give attention, we will say, what shall I do? And that's where we conclude this lesson. God is clearly speaking to you through his creation, through his word, and through his people. Are you listening to him? If you're not, the end, I got to tell you, is not good i got to teach this part. I can't just teach the good parts and leave out the bad parts. I love to teach about heaven, but i got to teach about hell too. heard a preacher one time, and he, and he said, We need more preachers that preach that hell is real and hell is hot. It's true. It is, right? I've never been there, and I don't plan on going there, but I've read that it is. Jesus talked about hell a lot. The Son of God talked more about hell than he did heaven in the Gospels. Did you know that? Why would he do that? Why would Jesus talk more about hell than he does heaven? Some people would say, why, why wouldn't he be more positive? Well, because he realized the seriousness of losing your soul, and he does not want you to be there. That's one of the best things about God, isn't it? That he does not want you to go to hell. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness but is long suffering towards us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance that is the loving nature of our God he wants you to be saved now how do we do that there's lots of different ideas on how to be saved but I am only interested in the plan that is found in scripture when I look at the book of Acts, when I look at the New Testament, because we realize, right, as Christians, as New Testament Christians, there's a reason for the blank space between the Old and the New Testament. And I look in the New Testament and I ask myself, how do I become a Christian? I see that there's a pattern. 
Jesus tells us that I need to believe that he is the son of God or I will die in my sins. John 8 and verse 24. So that first step is I, I got to believe. When I hear his word, Romans 10, 17, I need to believe it. I need to believe the truth. I need to repent of my sins. And what does that look like? I am disgusted by the things that I used to do. And I don't want to do them anymore. I realize that those things that I used to partake in, and we don't have to go in the list because we know, I truly believe we know what's right and wrong. Right? We know what's right and wrong. Those things that I used to do, they disgust me. I don't want to do them anymore. I put them behind me and I change. That's repentance. And I might mess up. In fact, I will mess up. But I don't want to go back to them. I repent of my sins. I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's just not a one-time confession. That is a continual confession. I need to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we're all on the same page. Many people are until this next part right here. And we need to talk about this because it's found in Scripture. Baptism. Washing my sins away in water. Is that essential for salvation? Some would say no. But the Bible says yes. 1 Peter 3.21 tells us that there is a like figure whereunto baptism does now also save us there's a whole host of people that would say baptism doesn't save you and they're making a grave mistake because they're saying something that is contradicting the bible baptism does save us how about uh, john 3 in verse 5 where jesus is speaking to nicodemus and he says unless one is born of water and of spirit he cannot what he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, one thing I know about God, God can do whatever he wants, but he can't do some things. He can't lie. And if God tells me that one has to do these things in order to enter into heaven, he can't go back on that, can he? He can't lie. And so I better be following that plan, and I better be teaching people that plan that's found in Scripture because, to me, it doesn't get any clearer then the pattern that's found, I think about that great sermon that was preached in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls repented and were baptized for the remission of their sins. And what, it, what does it tell us in Acts 2.38? They received the gift of the Holy Spirit after that. Everything we say and do has to have, a, we have to have a biblical answer for it. And we understand that. That's how someone is saved and then they continue to live faithful to God because you and I realize that there is a possibility of losing our salvation. Again, there's a whole host of people that would say you can't. Once you've been saved, you can't be taken out of the hand of God. You can lose your salvation if you are not faithful to God. If that's not true, why did Revelation tell us in Revelation 2.10 that if we're faithful unto death, we will receive a crown of life? If it's impossible to lose our salvation... Why would Paul say in Galatians chapter 5, 1 through 4, that if we try to keep the old law and try to be justified by the old law, we have fallen from grace? Friends, we got to stay faithful. And a lesson like this for me, I love apologetic lessons like this because they confirm my faith. Why do I believe in God? Because I believe in his word. I believe in his creation. I believe in his people. 
One point that I want to touch on as well, just very quickly, I believe in his justice as well. All of the pain that's ever happened in this life, you think about pedophiles, you think about molesters, those who have wrongly killed people. Uh, If I don't believe in God, where's the justice for those people? Where's the justice for sin? I believe that there's going to be a day of reckoning, and there are people looking forward to that day as well. There are many other reasons to believe in God, but those three are the main ones I want us to think about. I'm glad that I'm a Christian. I'm so glad that I'm a Christian. I'm so glad that I believe in him. And I have something to look forward to after this life. Maybe you're here and you don't have anything to look forward to after this life. You say, this life's it and then I'm dead and and that's it. I, I no longer exist to think or anything like that. I'd really ask you to think about that. Maybe there's someone here this morning that wants to do those things that we talked about. They want to obey the gospel. They, they believe now. They want to repent of their sins. They want to confess. They want to be baptized. They want to live faithful to God. I pray that you would do that today. Maybe you could take the courage today that you have and, and come forward as together we sing the song of invitation.